3: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. We are here. We are your hosts. My name is Gabrielle Hacohen,
0: And I'm Sadie Carpenter.
3: We're here today to do an episode that we're really excited about doing. Um, Sadie, do you want to introduce the topic?
0: Yeah. So today we are going to do an overview of the Hillsong megachurch situation. Situations. All of them.
3: Yeah, international mega church, international ministry situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the last two weeks, so two weeks ago, we talked about personality cults. And last week, we talked about Kanye West. And I definitely think that. This whole Hillsong, uh, uh, I this this whole Hillsong ministry. There are definitely elements of the whole personality cult slash celebrity culture very much involved with the reason why this thing is popular and the reason why this thing is famous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of different threads here, um, and just some kind of fun, wild stories along with the, you know, the trauma and the abuse. So I think this is going to be an interesting topic to dig into.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited for it. So yeah, we should just uh, get right in. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host cult expert Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist church cult thing. We talk about this cult, we talk about other cults, we talk about religion, we talk about fundamentalism, we talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole, and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there's numerous things that you can do to support us. Number one, you can hit that like and you can hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get the new episode right when it comes out. Wow. You can join our Patreon where there is going to be an extended and uncensored and ad-free version of today's episode. So that should be fun. Uh, Join the Patreon to get access to that. That's patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Both of those places are great places where you can discuss the show and your uh, fundamentalism takes, memes, all sorts of things with other fans of the show. It's a great place. It's a great community. And we have awesome discussions there. It's really the lifeblood of this community. Is there anything I'm forgetting about before I can just thank the patrons?
0: No, I think we can thank our lovely patrons and get into it.
3: Okay, great. Well, we have two... I gave it all to your patrons, and they are Melissa Mosley and Kathleen Moncrief. Thank you guys so much for joining the I gave it all tier of our patron, Patreon, patron, Patreon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much
0: to Kathleen and to Melissa.
3: And we also have our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. You know what we should do? We should do another uh, uh, Faith Promise Mission patron uh, uh, hangout.
0: I really want to. I just, I feel like um, scheduling anything with me is such a nightmare and I feel really bad about that.
3: Yeah. um, And also I've been preparing to move. I've, I moved house one time um, at the end of summer and I'm going to move across the country. So once I get settled into my new place, probably we can do one in December uh, or or January. And that would probably be a great time uh, to to do that. Once I get settled into my new house in uh, in Philadelphia, plan on that. Yeah, that, that would be great. But our Faith Promise Missions here, patrons, are Alex Todd, Alison MacArthur, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R., Chrissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hanson the Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, uh, uh, Meg, aka, I'm just here to send Sadie true crime podcast suggestions. Well, we get your suggestions. Sadie gets your suggestions. Fantastic. Jen kaharski Jessica Tambo, Jana, Jonathan Miller, Kat Hedberg, K Terwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Waal, Linda Morgan, Lindsey Goss, Lorena Watson. MC Rap, aka hashtag the boy who cried sauce, aka Big Sexy, aka Justin Bowman. Hell yeah. Michaela Upright, Morgan's actual BFF, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, the actor who played Peter Pan on Broadway, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, reverend robert Stutz, sarah Ricci, shane horton stephanie johnson susie tara mcnamara the lady rabbi tiffany enderby walnut walnutson and as always west the cowboy thank you so much
0: yeah and a big thank you to all of our patrons at every level We are so appreciative that you enjoy our content and we bring value to your life and that you bring value to our life that allows us to keep making this show full time.
3: Yes, absolutely. If you're listening to this episode on release day, then you're listening to this episode on the day, which I uh, am, am probably driving down Interstate 84 right now in a van that I have rented full of all of my stuff from Portland and I probably won't make it to Salt Lake City tonight, but I'll probably make it to somewhere in like Idaho in my journey across the country to move into my new apartment in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I would not be able to do that without your support. I would not be able to, to make this podcast an actual job that I do um, and make me able to work remotely. So thank oh, you, you so much. you should
0: probably, yeah. And you should also thank our listeners who sent you suggestions of cool things to do in Philly.
3: Yes, I've gotten messages from like four or five different people who either live there or they have family who lives there and they've told me about great things to do. So um, I don't have your names in front of me right now, but I will make sure that I message you guys back all individually and tell you thank you for that. So thank you so much for that. Um, But yeah, let's let's get into talking about Hillsong.
0: Okay, I I will go. Yeah, I'll give you our little trigger warning real quick. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid any graphic detail unless it's important to the story that we're telling. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we go into detail if we do feel that we need to do so. In this episode, we're going to talk megachurches, Christian contemporary music, emotional manipulation through music, sexual abuse, both of adults and children, and victim blaming. I will not (laughs) just, just to clarify at the outset, I'm not here to trash everybody who listens to contemporary Christian music. So if that's a concern for you, that won't be happening here today.
3: Good to know. Uh, We will talk about the music, though, and that's going to be a really fun discussion. I'm excited for it. But anyway, Hillsong is a Pentecostal megachurch based in Australia, based down under, and they're well known for producing contemporary Christian music. Uh, They're well known for being associated with many A-list celebrities, including, to name a few, Justin Bieber, Chris Pratt, Uh, Many of the members of the Kardashian family, as well as a 12-time NBA All-Star, Kevin Durant. Yeah. uh, So, Sadie, before we get into talking about Hillsong itself, I have a question for you. Shoot. Actually, two questions. Okay. um, Hillsong is a uh, a Pentecostal church, a a charismatic church. What does it mean— For a church to be Pentecostal, what does it mean for a church to be charismatic?
0: Okay. So, the Pentecostal denomination is a Christian denomination that takes inspiration from the events in the biblical story of Pentecost. This denomination focuses heavily on salvation and the Holy Spirit. So, I'll give you a brief rundown of the story because this is New Testament, so you likely don't know it. So, Jesus died was buried came back after three days and then he was with his apostles for 40 days before he ascended into heaven and promised to come back again at the end of the world so when jesus ascended into heaven he said that he would send the other part of the trinity the holy spirit to be a companion to his followers until his return at the end of the world after his ascension the apostles were all together celebrating shavuot They were having a, they were sad that Jesus had left, but they were still trying to have a good time celebrating Shavuot and a great wind filled the room where the apostles were gathered and they appeared to have flames floating above their heads, which was a physical symbol of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired them to preach in languages that they themselves didn't know. People around them accused them of being drunk because of the way that they were acting. But they said, no, we're sober. This is a miracle. The Holy Spirit has filled us. It is important to note they were speaking languages, not gibberish or babbling. So real life example, I speak English. I speak American Sign Language fairly well. And I speak a tiny, tiny bit of Spanish. Like, I'd like the number five, please, and where is the bathroom Spanish. And that's it. Those are the only languages I speak. So if this were me in the story, it would be like me suddenly being able to speak fluent Japanese. But not just making up gibberish that sounds like Japanese actually speak it. So the Pentecostals, as a denomination, focus heavily on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They believe that the Holy Spirit is still active today on Earth and that people who are filled with the Holy Spirit can exhibit miracles like healing other people from illnesses, prophecy, and speaking in languages that they are not familiar with. The colloquial term for that is speaking in tongues. On a side note, there was a claim that this speaking in foreign languages thing happened at First Baptist Church of Hammond on a couple occasions. The story that I remember best, there was a visitor to the church who did not speak English at all. And This visitor spoke a language that no one in the room was able to speak. He came forward at the altar call um, wanting to know, like, why are other people coming forward? Uh, In the First Baptist Church version, of course, this was the Holy Spirit leading him to come down at the altar call. And a deacon from First Baptist Church was miraculously able to speak his native language so that he could get saved.
3: Okay. Huh. That's okay.
0: So it's important to note... (laughs) Well, okay, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later.
3: And so you've spoken about getting like, quote unquote, fundy hyped. Yes. So the way you've described Pentecostals, do they go like even harder into that?
0: Yeah, that's the other thing. So in modern Pentecostal and charismatic churches, remember how I talked about speaking in an unknown language? Like if I was suddenly able to speak Japanese? Yes. So this has evolved into speaking in an unknown language, not necessarily meaning a foreign language that you just don't speak, but an unknown, uninterpretable, heavenly language. So you're saying sounds and words that don't belong to any language that we're aware of on Earth, but they take that as evidence that you are speaking an angelic language or a language that they speak in heaven. So, remember that lady who was on Trump's religious team who was calling down African angels to help Trump win the election and, like, half of her words were total nonsense?
3: Yes. Oh, my God. That's what she was doing. I've seen that video, like, 800 times. That video was hilarious.
0: So, that's that. That's what that is. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, a charismatic church would have that, would have very hype uh, worship or praise music. They would have dancing in the aisles, people falling to the floor and thrashing about. That's called getting slain by the Holy Spirit. So, the believing in modern miracles and that any Christian can perform them if they are in touch with the Holy Spirit, that's the Pentecostal side. The theatrics are the charismatic style so Pentecostal is a, de- a denomination charismatic is a style and there are charismatic Baptists there are charismatic people from all sorts of different denominations uh, the fundies the IFB fundies really really dislike these people
3: <laughs> oh why the IFB they're kind of muted
0: yeah well there are mm. there are allowable ways to express your emotions about Jesus but the IFB they don't believe in faith healing, Like that a person can heal you from being sick. They believe that God has to heal you. So you can pray for someone to get better. You can anoint someone with oil to amplify your prayer that they will get better. But you can't just declare you are made whole in Jesus' name. They don't do that. So they do believe that the Holy Spirit is active in this world and does perform miracles and they do technically believe that christians who are filled with the holy spirit are capable of performing miracles they just believe that it's very very rare and it's not done in a public way for i mean for example when the deacon at first baptist church of hammond witnessed to the person who did not speak english and claims that they were miraculously able to speak another language that no one else Saw that happen. There was no dancing in the aisles. There was no look at me. It was a private miracle. And that's really more what the IFB tend to believe in.
3: Uh, so, so, like a Pentecostal or charismatic church is going to appeal to somebody who wants the assurance that the Holy Spirit is taking a, a, a personal role, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are taking a personal role in their lives.
0: Right. And also that they themselves are capable of performing miracles through the power of God and the Holy Spirit in their life.
3: So I, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to ask a, another question about Hillsong. It, I guess this might sound like a stupid question, but I also think that it's probably a question that a lot of people outside of evangelical Christianity might have. I guess I'm going to preface this by saying personally, if I'm going to a religious service, and I'm going to take my family to a religious service and be the member of a congregation, I would want my religious leader, uh, uh, like my rabbi, or, or you know, if I was a, a Christian, my pastor, if I was a Catholic, my priest, I would want them to know who we are. I would want that person to know my name, my wife's name, maybe my kid's name, hopefully my kid's names, and like know something about us. Know if we're going to be like, if we're going to be involved in this com- uh, community, I want to like feel like I know them and they know me. So I really want to know. I guess what is the point of a megachurch? What hmm. is the appeal of a megachurch? Why would somebody rather go to a megachurch than go to a Baptist or a Methodist or just like a, a regular Pentecostal church down the street from where they are that they can you know be on the f- first name basis with their pastor?
0: So that is maybe one of the best questions that you've ever asked me on the podcast. Really? Yeah, because I would never have thought that that would be a question that someone would have because I was raised in this church culture of bigger is always better.
3: Okay. And so you guys were looking at these mega churches and saying, man, we got to get to that level.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I've spoken before Uh about how my personal value to other IFB people went up and down comparatively to how many members my dad had in his church so let's define a megachurch a megachurch is colloquially understood to be a very large church but the technical definition is a church with over 1,000 regular attendees. The point of it is that you have to have a lot of people. So number one, if your church is evangelical and you have all of these people attending, you are showing your success because you've been able to get all of these people coming to church. You're, you're presumably interested in converting other people and continuing to grow your church. You're on a roll. It's kind of the ultimate mark of success for evangelicalism. Number one, the point of having a big church is that you have a big church, and there are a lot of subgroups of evangelicalism where that is seen as the ultimate mark of success. And of course, in the IFB, that it's even more toxic because people's personal worth is tied to that numerical success. The other reason a person might want to go to a megachurch, though, outside of, of that reason of it's successful, if your church teaches that members should tithe a thousand people paying 10 percent or more of their income per month is a pretty significant amount of money and with that kind of money mega churches are able to provide services and amenities to members so they might have a daycare that is free or heavily discounted for church members they might have a coffee shop in the front lobby they might have activities for families and children they have a dedicated assistant pastors for different groups of people. So there's a pastor who oversees all of the children's ministries, a youth pastor for the teens, or in a really big church, a junior high and a high school youth pastor, a pastor who only does marriage counseling, a pastor who watches out for all the seniors and visits them in their homes. Uh, a mega church can have a really big, beautiful building, a nice parking lot, maybe a shuttle to bring you into the building from the parking lot, like in the Righteous Gemstones. They can provide a great quality sound and lights show at the worship service. They can hire great musicians. They can have big screens to show you the words to the music. So you don't have to hold a hymnal. And of course they can even wield political influence in the community, or if they're big enough outside of the community in national politics.
3: Okay. So it is, it's like everybody pooling their resources almost to get. Right. But they
0: hate socialism.
3: (laughs) So I, I do love the righteous gemstones. So Okay, so the amenities, uh, aside from that, the amenities really are a selling point. So it's it's not the theology so much.
0: So the theology tends to be pretty bland and mainstream. Of course, you have the outliers, like First Baptist Church of Hammond, which even in its greatly diminished current state, is still technically a megachurch. So you have these outliers that have very strong... Uh, boundaries on their theology and a very set, rigid way of looking at things, but these more famous megachurches like Hillsong or like Mars Hill uh, or Arise Church, they tend to be a little more middle of the road with their theology. For example, Hillsong... um, he is outspokenly anti-gay. Now, the pastor Brian Houston, who we're going to have a lot to say about later, <laughs> um, he said something to the effect of we welcome gay church members, but if they are quote living a homosexual lifestyle, by which he means Sleeping with people of the same gender, they will not be able to hold any position in church leadership. And some people, you know, I would look at that and say, well, that's discriminatory and rude. But a lot of the people in his congregation and in evangelicalism said, well, that's way too soft. You shouldn't be welcoming gay people at all. So he has to balance and play both sides and try to make everybody happy. And that's an example for how the theology tends to be in general. A very old friend of mine has a is married to a man who is a pastor of a larger church. Uh, it's a Baptistic, non denominational church. They're not Pentecostal, but I've listened to some of his sermons online, and it's not um it's not unscriptural. It's not weird theology.
3: It's not Jack Scop three way with Jesus theology. It's
0: not. It's just like very mainstream. And that particular, the only reason I feel comfortable bringing up that particular guy is because, honestly, his sermons are really good. Like, it's, he's a good speaker, and he makes a good point with the way that he talks. And he's probably the preacher that I hate listening to the absolute least. But no, he, like, he gives truths from the Bible about how God is with you on your daily walk and how... You should be kind to others. It's um it's not bad theology, it's just bland, it's kind of basic. But the reason that a person goes to a megachurch might be different for each person. So one family might be there because they really like the theology or they like the specific teachings of the lead pastor. And as we'll talk about, the lead pastors can get a bit of a celebrity following. So it can become the situation where whatever that lead pastor says seems really fresh and new and interesting and deep, even though it's really not. But another family might not care too much about the theology as long as they perceive it to be biblically sound. And they're really there because they like the modern feel of the church. They just cannot stand more traditional services, and they really prefer to feel like they're at a concert on Sunday morning with their coffee cup in hand from the on-site coffee shop in the lobby of the church building. And then another family might be there at the megachurch because they like the feeling of worshiping with a large crowd of people. They're really more comfortable having a little bit of that anonymity in the crowd rather than being in a smaller church and they feel like too many people are watching them. But a really big church can provide all of that. So whatever it is you're looking for, you're going to find it there. Kind of like a large, well-funded college can provide lots of different clubs and activities and on-campus amenities So you as a prospective student, you're 17, you're looking at colleges to go to, your focus might really be like, I really need a college with a good gym and I would prefer like an indoor swimming pool because my fitness is like my big goal. Or you might be a college student who's really looking for a good music program or you're really just looking for someplace where the food in the dining hall doesn't suck or where there's a really good student newspaper that you can be involved with. But whatever it is, that's your priority a really big, well-funded college probably has it. So it's the same concept with a megachurch.
3: Okay. And you will have a personal relationship with a pastor. It just might not be the pastor who is giving the sermon to 10,000 people on Sunday morning.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, a a church that's that big and has that kind of funding can also employ many different pastors. So, yeah, you would rarely ever get to speak to the senior pastor or the head pastor, but you would have access to and probably the cell phone number of your kid's children's pastor and your teen's youth pastor and your Sunday school teacher and then also the guy who does the marriage counseling so you would have support and resources from the pastoral staff. Mega churches especially like the ones that we're going to be talking about today don't typically use the hierarchical terms like the IFB uses. So in the IFB the pastor is just one guy and then everybody else is an assistant pastor or a youth pastor These megachurches will pitch it where it looks more like a collective thing. So it'll just be like, well, Pastor Bob is the lead pastor, and then Pastor Joe is the youth pastor, and Pastor Todd is the young marrieds pastor. So they will will try to make it look a lot more collective than hierarchical, although it's definitely not.
3: (laughs) And some of these churches, they'll let women into the ministry, and some of them won't.
0: Right. So I think it's pretty common to allow a woman to have a position like children's pastor. That's usually usually about it. The churches, well, the Hillsong Church that we're talking about today, they typically allow women to co-pastor with their husbands. Does that give them any actual power? Absolutely not. But they do give them the title of co-pastor.
3: So I, I think I'm starting to get it now. Um this is like church is like a one stop shop for all your needs, and they do have a bunch of specialists. I, okay,
0: yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, just the vertical integration again. I totally see the appeal of
3: that, though. that That makes a lot of sense. You just have to give them uh, whatever percent of your income. So,
0: yeah, and this like this very much grew out of the Jesus movement. So these churches look really like slip like sleek and modern and hipster. They've retained a lot of the hippie sensibilities of the Jesus movement. A major one of those is referring to pastors by their first name and also this appearance of a less hierarchical, less rigid organizational structure, although there is definitely hierarchy. They just aren't showing it to their members.
3: Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks for making that clear to me. I always thought of mega churches as almost like I want to say almost like fake church. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you were like a church hipster, you wouldn't want to bother with the mainstream megachurch, like the Imagine Dragons of church. You'd want to get into like, you know, the real underground church. You want to be in like the hardcore. Sh- you want to go to like punk church.
0: So the thing is that a lot of these megachurches are able to brand as if they are the underground hardcore punk church. Hmm. Because of the Christian persecution complex that they perpetuate, so they're like Harley Davidsoning it. Ha, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You got it. Where
3: they're the, the most quintessential brand, but they also brand themselves as like outlaws and rebels,
0: that's even though it. they're
3: the establishment. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Oh, right. okay. That's
0: because that's of smart. the Christian persecution complex, right. Okay, are you ready to actually talk about Hillsong?
3: Yeah, let's go into Hillsong. Thanks for explaining. That was an important preface. I, I'm really glad you laid that all out for that
0: me. That was absolutely not a waste of time because that I needed to explain that to you. So Hillsong, it was founded in the 1980s in Australia as part of the Assemblies of God denomination, which is a Pentecostal denomination. Uh, so, like Pentecostal is like the religious movement, and then Assembly of God is the denominational head, and then The churches tend to not be like first assembly of God in this particular cultural context. The churches tend to say like be whatever Christian life center. So Brian Houston and his wife, Bobby, were the co-founders of what was then called Hill's Christian Life Center. Uh, Brian's father, Frank Houston, was the pastor of another nearby AOG assembly of God megachurch.
3: So were you aware of like Hillsong growing up and, and these type of thing growing up? Because I know I wasn't aware of them until I heard about Chris Pratt and like Justin Bieber getting involved with them, but also I wasn't raised in the evangelical movement.
0: I was pretty much only aware of them because of their immense involvement in church music, which to be fair is probably the reason that a lot of people are aware of Hillsong outside of their celebrity members in the United States.
3: But you weren't allowed to listen to any of that music. Because it was no. uh, Christian rock. It had it had drum beats on the two and four.
0: But I was aware of it. And then every once in a while, a Hillsong type song would filter through to the IFB and have all the beats taken out and be considered okay for us to sing. So there's one There's one called As the Deer, uh, which is a, a setting for a psalm. That one made it through. Uh, So Brian Houston was interested in contemporary Christian music, and that was what he primarily wanted to have played at his church services uh, at Hills Christian Life Center, which was later called Hillsong. There are very strict Pentecostal and Assembly of God churches uh, in the world. Especially when it comes to dress code for women. But many of many Pentecostal and Assembly of God churches would look like any Baptist ish non denominational megachurch or wannabe megachurch in the United States. So there are those who are very strict, preach that women should only wear dresses and not cut their hair, not wear any makeup but the more mainstream is more like any non-denominational any non-denominational church in the US. So they will preach that modesty is important, but what they mean by modest, modesty is women can wear pants and they can wear like normal looking clothing. But don't show a lot of cleavage and don't wear leggings without a long top to cover your butt. Like that, ver- like Bethany Beale modesty, not Hiles Anderson modesty. Okay. And in keeping with this more modern image, Brian Houston wanted to have modern music in his church. They were at the cutting edge of the movement towards modern worship music which, again, came out of the Jesus movement ideas of writing modern-sounding music about Jesus, just like David Koresh was doing, presenting these songs in a format that looks like any other band, with, like, you've got a drummer, you've got a guitarist, you got a keyboard player, a bass player, and a lead singer. This concept came out of the Jesus movement. Hillsong also really pioneered the idea of taking lyrics to very old hymns and writing modern musical settings for them, which is a thing that Kanye is doing now, we found out last week. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so if you've ever heard the version of um, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, that thing, doing that, uh, really took off because of Hillsong. Actually, the rewritten version of Glorious Day by Casting Crowns is my one of my absolute guilty pleasure songs and my number one favorite example of this. Pastor Houston started encouraging the worship team at his church to start writing their own music. Eventually, one of their songs hit it big on the United States contemporary Christian music, like, billboard charts. The song that hit it big is called Shout to the Lord. Uh, Apologies to anyone who has trauma around this song or around worship (laughs) music in general. I'm sure there are probably Um. people out there. But this is one of the absolute bangers ever to come out of contemporary Christian music. One of the most popular songs ever in contemporary Christian music.
3: So I listened to this song in preparation for the episode. Didn't do it for me. Um, I don't think it was because it, uh, because it's like a Christian song. I just, um, it's just not to my taste, I think.
0: I've heard versions of it that I liked better than others.
3: Yeah, I just looked up the... the um, I just typed it into YouTube and clicked the one with the most views. And I think it was from the 90s, like Mm -hmm. 93 or something. Yeah.
0: So the John Todd episode, we talked about a music ministry that John Todd was involved with uh, before he got kicked out for creeping on younger women. Uh, But remember that John Todd said something during his satanic panic career about the Illuminati paying off contemporary Christian music writers to make evil music.
3: Yes. Yes, I do remember that.
0: So Hillsong became that church. Um, Of course, Hillsong came about long after John Todd was in prison for assaulting younger women. (sighs) Yeah. But the exact thing that he was saying, he would have said the same things about Hillsong if he had not been in prison. So Hillsong, like the church that he worked for, they became a church where the music ministry was a huge portion of what they were doing as an organization. Like a lot of their organizational resources and time were spent on making new Christian music. The people who led music, led worship in regular church services started to form different groups which is the christian word for bands and the term worship collective started getting thrown around which is the christian word for a record label in like in a very vague sense so uh they made cds of their music because it was so popular at the original hillsong megachurch in australia And people who went to that church would buy the CD to support, like, the people they went to church with who had made a CD. But soon, these songs started to gain popularity and actually chart in CCM charts in Australia and America. And other churches started to hit up the Hillsong Music Office. Like, hey, can we please have the rights to play your song in our services? Or can we do a recording of your song?
3: Interesting. Okay. No, that that makes So, were people... Drawn to attend the Hillsong Church specifically because they wanted to have like like a, a concert atmosphere at the church, and they liked to hear this music specifically in person?
0: That became one of the biggest draws of this church. I wouldn't say it was the only one. Because people saw this music and somebody who is a little more spiritually minded might say, oh my goodness, God is blessing this church. The power of the Holy Spirit is on these singers. The Holy Spirit wants me to be a member of this church. So there are a lot of ways that this music could get in somebody's head. The thing about this music, and I'm not just criticizing just Hillsong, but contemporary Christian music in general is that it has the power to easily elicit a very strong emotional response. This musical style uses tools that we find in secular music, like key changes and beat drops combined with emotional and spiritual lyrics to create an atmosphere that is very powerful to people who are tapped into that atmosphere.
3: So in addition to uh, a shout to the Lord, I listened to quite a bit of uh, Hillsong music in preparation for doing this episode. Oh,
0: good. So what what did you listen to?
3: So, uh, yeah, I listened to Shout to the Lord. I listened to uh, the song uh, Who You Say I Am. I listened to a song called uh, Surrender, uh, or I Surrender, um, and uh, several others. I just kind of went on YouTube and looked up uh, Hillsong music and listened to uh, uh, seven or eight of the ones with the most views.
0: Uh, wait, is is who you say I am, is that the one, I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow?
3: Maybe. Oh, okay. I, I just- I, I, it might be. I, I don't know. You have to Google the lyrics to it. <laughs> I um, just
0: realized that I know that one.
3: It, the recording I saw, the video I saw was from 2018.
0: Okay, maybe maybe not. I don't know. Uh, um, I hope you heard Here I Am to Worship. That was another really big early Hillsong song. So what was your general opinion of this as a musician?
3: okay so as a musician um my 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 opinion as a musician is different from my opinion as as like a listener as a musician i'm listening for like uh is the execution good and yes it's always good uh it's well produced it's well performed as far as the lyrics go i'm not a christian so it's not going to be something that appeals to me no matter what but that's that's sort of uh, that's something i didn't care for uh the the one thing that kind of stuck out to me was that almost every song that I listened to seemed to be like a mid-tempo ballad.
0: So there are more upbeat, non-ballad Christian songs. They tend to get a lot more play on Christian radio. They are not sung in church because it's difficult for a congregation to sing along with a faster tempo. So the, the there are multiple reasons that the ballads ones are the ones that get most use in church. I do want to know, do you see how this can elicit such a strong response in people?
3: Oh, for sure. And maybe my uh, 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 lukewarm reaction to it there. I I used some Christianese. I I was very lukewarm about this music. Uh, (laughs) Maybe my response to it was because I heard these songs all in a row like the first one i listened to and i i listened to and i thought okay this is a pretty good song not my taste uh you know because it's all about jesus but i get it and then i listened to the second one and i thought this is kind of like the first one but okay and then the third one was just like oh another mid-tempo ballad really okay but i assume that they probably hit differently if you're hearing the song about feeling broken and trusting in jesus to fix you. After you've just had a sermon preached to you about the same subject and that really connected with you and you were really feeling like you needed to hear that sermon. And so you hear that sermon and then the song comes in just as the sermon's ending and you're like, you have that moment.
0: Yeah. So all of that energy of running up and down the aisles, falling on the floor, speaking in tongues. While that is still part of the theology of churches that are affiliated with Hillsong, all of that energy got channeled into the music ministry and the songs they were creating. And what you were saying about the mid-tempo ballad, the people are there to feel feelings. They want to feel like God was present and moving among the crowd, so all of the songs are chosen and planned and written to make those feelings happen to manufacture that religious hysteria.
3: Yeah. So uh, a few days ago, you sent me an article. Uh, it was, I guess, it was a, a personal, uh, like a short memoir, like like a personal essay almost. Mm-hmm. But it was written by a woman who got involved in uh, with, with Christian contemporary music through Hillsong or, or a Hillsong affiliated church, and it was a fascinating read.
0: Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, The article is called The Oceans of Transatlanticism. It's by Lindsay Ficus. And it'll be linked, of course, with all of my other sources for this episode in the free Patreon post. Lindsay talks about how she personally was a worship leader and how she was trained specifically to deliver and manufacture those feelings through music to the audience every week.
3: Yeah, and she describes... The, like the changes in genre of music, how it, how it goes from from being music that sounds kind of like, like U2 or like Coldplay uh, to being like emo music, but like emo songs about Jesus, mm-hmm. but then it shifted to be like a more like Mumford and Sons kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, at Eve was framed on TikTok also does some videos about this. She was also a worship leader, and she talks about how she was taught to do this as well. The music was following the culture, so they wanted to sound like any other hipster band, whatever was popular, but carefully and brilliantly designed to make you feel feelings about Jesus. This feels like a good place to note that I am not anti-feeling feelings about Jesus, nor am I against churches that have worship services I'm sure a good chunk of our listeners had their hands up at a worship service the day before they're listening to this. I have felt those feelings, and I have done that thing, and it always felt artificial to me because it was for me. It didn't work for me, but I know that there are people who genuinely get good out of this kind of service and are genuinely feel that they're spiritually helped by it. And I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong or that you can't do that or anything like that.
3: Yeah, I, I, I sort of get the feeling that people who attend these services are attending them specifically because uh, they know that they can that when they go to this thing, they will be made to feel a certain way by this thing. Mm-hmm. And they like it's it's like automatic.
0: And for me, that makes it a question of consent, because if you if you are a person who wants to attend this kind of service and you know That the worship band and their carefully curated outfits and their song list and the lights and the smoke and the synth pedals and everything there is carefully crafted to make you feel feelings about Jesus. And you are there because you have feelings about Jesus and you want to experience your feelings about Jesus in like a very emotional way. If that's what you want, then you've consented to this emotional journey that the band is going to take you on. It's not non-consensual. Like when I go to a ghost concert, I know that I'm going to cry over some songs and that's consent. I'm consenting to be emotionally manipulated by the music and the band's outfits and the smoke and the lights. And it's no different if you're going to a worship service, you're consenting to that emotional journey. It's only an issue for me when a person has been led to believe by pastors and worship leaders that this is only solely the power of the Holy Spirit making you feel feelings, and if you believe that the Holy Spirit is there and is making you feel feelings, that's fine that's fine that believe- i might not agree, but that belief does not hurt anybody, and I cannot prove (laughs) that I'm right and you're wrong. So, if you believe that the Holy Spirit is causing you to feel some of those feelings that you feel in an emotionally charged worship service, that's really okay as long as you can recognize that the power of a synth pedal and a good lighting operator and a well-timed key change are contributing, aiding the Holy Spirit in making you feel those feelings, perhaps.
3: Yeah, I think I saw a TikTok that made its way onto Instagram Reels, uh, that also then made its way onto Facebook, uh, because that's how I view those things, uh, because I'm an old man. Uh, but but I saw it about somebody thought that they felt the power of the Holy Spirit, like like through these worship services, and then they realized when they were a young adult that they actually just liked live music.
0: Yeah. I think that's a lot of people's experience. But again, you know, if you want to go to this service because you have, like, you have feelings about Jesus if you are this type of Christian. Um, And if you want to go to this service to have somebody else lead you through your feelings about Jesus and help you experience them in a very powerful way, I don't have a problem with that. Just recognize that at the very least, the Holy Spirit is getting a, a lot of help. So Hillsong. They shot to the top. Moving through the 2000s and into the 2010s, they opened many more campuses under the same parent church all across the world, in London, in Moscow, in Stockholm, and then multiple locations in the United States. They also started to gain a A A-list celebrity following in the United States.
3: So the one in New York was started by a man named Carl Lentz. I don't know. do, Do you want me to talk about
0: him now or talk about him later? Let's go ahead and have you talk about him now, because to be honest with you, we are not going to get any further in this episode without talking about all of the scandals. (laughs) Uh, Before you start, I want to note that scandals have been brewing for Hillsong since about 1999, but they don't really start to come out until the last several years. So speaking like 2016, 2017,
3: 2018. So in 2010, Carl Lentz, Co founded Hillsong Satellite Church in uh, New York City. Uh, I, I think he's from North Carolina, but he went and he attended uh, Hillsong's uh, 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 seminary that they have. And, yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and then he went to start a satellite. He was successful there and he went to start a sa- satellite church in uh, New York City. Lentz has been well known for getting big name A list. Hollywood celebrities involved with his ministry. So the most famous example of this is when he baptized Justin Bieber in 2014. So Lentz has been uh friendly with Bieber, uh, uh Chris Pratt, Bono. Ew. Wait, you don't like Bono?
0: No, Chris Pratt. I'm oh, just Chris I'm legally Pratt. obligated to say ew every time I hear his name.
3: Okay, well, cool. I, I, you know, I like Bono. I like you too. I, uh, I don't. I don't have
0: an issue with Bono. I have an issue with Chris Pratt.
3: Yeah, he he did a, a very mediocre Super Mario. It's it's not. Uh,
0: Mine is more misogyny based, but I didn't really yeah. like the Mario thing either.
3: <laughs> and also, Kevin Durant, uh, uh, was another celebrity that he was uh, uh, friends with, friendly with. So if you see Lens, he very much has like a like a Brooklyn hipster aesthetic. You know what I'm saying? Like he he dresses fashionably, or at least what was really fashion. Like if you see pictures of him, it's what was fashionable in like 2014 through 2018. I want to say he very much has like a a, a a. I think he dresses in sort of a way that somebody who is about ten years younger than him would be expected to dress, but it's. Also, like it's sort of okay for him to dress like that because he has money. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have money, then you can get away with it.
0: Yes, I definitely know the vibe that you're describing.
3: Yeah, because he's he's like 42. He's he's in his early 40s, and if like a regular 40 year old guy started wearing skinny jeans and like an ultra deep V and uh and and the thick glasses, then it would be cringe. But. If it's somebody who is wearing, you know, the designer skinny jeans and the designer V-neck and the designer thick glasses, you let it slide.
0: It's like this would be ultra cringe if you didn't have a fat bank account and a deep spray tan.
3: Yeah. Like, I I don't like it. It's not completely. It's like, but it's also not completely not cringe. You know, like this dude, he gives me like John Mayer vibes or like Adam Levine. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, just for like, cause, you know, he's got all the tattoos and stuff and, you know, from looking at him that he is an extremely charismatic person, but he's also extremely toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, in, in 2020, Hillsong senior pastor, uh, Brian Houston, announced that Carl Lent's, uh, uh his involvement in the church had been terminated due to uh, moral failing which is uh, uh, Just question mark question mark question Mark but that's uh, that uh, some, could be A yeah. lot of
0: things
3: usually It's uh, some sort of sexual Impropriety uh, yeah
0: it's Almost always some kind of sexual Impropriety but it could be anything From like got caught watching Porn to horrible crimes against children
3: Yeah and like it could be Adulterous affair or It could be a uh, uh, sexual Violence allegations Uh it's yeah, just like anything in that range. Anyway, so um, you
0: hear that and you always you're just like, oh, yikes. I just oh, please just let it be a consensual affair. Or please just let him have like sexually harassed somebody and not actually touch them. Like you, you hear that and you just brace yourself and you're like, oh, oh, what's the least bad thing that this could be? It's
3: Come on, lewd comments. Come on, yes, exactly.
0: Lewd com- <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> Come on, uh, telling a dirty joke in an email. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, or like that yeah. one doofus Matt Chandler who, like, almost lost his job at a church for like some sexy Instagram flirting.
3: I didn't hear about that. So Boys link did an
0: episode this. on it, so I don't feel the need to. <laughs>
3: Okay, I, I I need to hear about this. We can talk about this. We, you know what? We can, we can go on IG Live at some point. And you can tell me about that. Okay. Um, that's like, um, anyway, Lentz uh, later said that he had an adulterous affair. Uh, his wife, sadly, was also terminated from her position at the church, even though uh, she claimed that she had done nothing wrong.
0: Yeah, because women always lose in these situations.
3: Although, according to one account, I would say that she probably did something wrong. Uh, but that's uh, uh, neither here nor there. I I don't right. I, but did I she used, get fired for definitely. doing
0: something wrong, or did she get fired because her husband did something wrong? Like, what was know. the actual Th- cause for her termination?
3: This is all just very not transparent. Uh, It's 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 not.
0: I will point out that women always lose because, okay, this is Hillsong. So pastors' wives are afforded a lot of lip service and status that wives in extreme patriarchy do not have. They are considered co-pastors with their husbands. They have a lot more autonomy than your average IFB woman would have. But that does not protect them from the more severe consequences of patriarchy and misogyny.
3: So in 2021, Leona Kimes, who co-pastored Hillsong Boston with her husband, Josh, announced that she and her husband were resigning from their position. They're leaving Hillsong. Furthermore, she alleged that while she was nanny for the Lentz family, uh, that Carl Lentz had committed physical, emotional, psychological, and oh, sexual no. abuse against her, yeah,
0: oh no, oh no, that's not, oh no, buddy. what did he say? He said he had a convent... he had he said that he had a consensual affair.
3: he said that it was a quote adulterous affair, no is, buddy, is... no,
0: that is not what we call that, I mean, that's what they call
3: it when they're trying to deflect from from <sighs> to, yeah,
0: I mean, to be fair, he did also have an affair by da- he dated a woman that he met in a park for like 5 months. She did not oh, know I didn't he was hear about this one. Oh my god, she didn't know he was married. Uh he told her that he was not going to tell her his last name because she- he wanted her to get to know him in person and not through Google. And he told her that he was some kind of fashion designer or something. And mm. uh eventually she got his last name and googled him and found out that he was married and she was extremely mad about it. So I guess he did uh- have an adulterous affair, as well as also abusing Leona Kimes.
3: It just speaks to how extremely charismatic that this guy is that he was able to get a woman who he met in a park to go out with him without telling her his last name. That's like.
0: Well, it, like we were saying, stuff. he looks rich. The way he dresses, it's clear that he is fairly well off at least. And because of societal, bullshit, we are programmed to trust people more that appear to be wealthy.
3: Yeah, I mean, but he could he could have been like some sex trafficker or something. He could just be like out here kidnapping people and and being a murderer. Who knows? I mean, a lo- how many how many uh, shows are there? Netflix docs are there about like uh, serial killers or people who are also rich? Like, oh,
0: several. Yeah, yeah. several.
3: Anyway, uh, furthermore. Other church staff and volunteers have alleged that the Lentz family overworked and underpaid them, uh, like they were living in Anatefka, overworked and underpaid them for their labor, including taking care of their kids, taking care of their pets, and cleaning their house. Tiffany Perez alleged that she worked up to 25 hours a week, for which she was only compensated $150. Oh, yeah. Oh, yikes. Mm, yeah. Many of these allegations claim that there is a culture of abuse and a culture of uh, lack of accountability uh, around Lentz and uh, within the ministry that that is around Lentz.
0: And this is all within Hillsong, New York and Hillsong, Boston. And yeah. we haven't even gotten to this stuff in Australia yet. But I will say a lack of accountability is just going to become a running theme here. And I have another story from people who babysat the Lentz kids and other New York Hillsong people's kids coming up for you after the break.
3: Yeah. And I mean, it isn't, it, is in, it is in New York and Boston. I think what happened here was that uh, uh, the, the Kimes family, uh, Liana and um, and and Josh, they were on a level below Lentz and he was expecting them to do this stuff. And then once they did all of that stuff, they were sent to be leadership in, uh, in boston which would kind of put them on
0: a level with him
3: yeah although i think that i think that new york is probably a bigger like a bigger fish than boston so they yeah
0: um i don't know man sounds kind of culty
3: yeah i mean you have experience with this uh but we'll get to whether or not hillsong is a cult a little bit later in the episode uh which is going to be fun according to an article that i read in the christian post Laura Lentz, uh, who, who is Carl's wife, caught Carl and Leona doing some some sort of impropriety, unspecified impropriety at a party at the home of NBA star Tyson Chandler and that Laura punched Leona three times in the face. Yikes. Yeah. Had those fists for Laura, didn't have fists for her husband, man. That's, uh, mm, you know, that's a choice that is a choice uh but according to investigators the power dynamic between carl and leona was such that leona didn't really have the option of turning him down Mm -hmm. so that kind of tracks in situations such as this uh especially because he's the one who who really does have all the power in this situation but this was this incident apparently i think happened in 2016 An illegal representative from Kimes confirmed this report, and Josh Kimes himself publicly came out and praised his wife and called her brave for coming forward with these allegations against Lentz.
0: Okay, points to Josh for praising his wife for coming forward with allegations. Yes. No points to anyone else.
3: (laughs) This, I mean, this... Uh, 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 incident seems like it's like the, the Christian version of Solange attacking Jay-Z in the elevator.
0: Yeah, that kind of tracks. Yeah. So the Carl Lent story, it's just the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to the scandals surrounding Hillsong, I think this is a good spot to take a break, take a deep breath, go take up the offering. And when we come back, we have a whole lot more to dig into.
3: Cool, cool, cool. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As you all know, I'm getting ready to move across the country. In fact, if you're listening to this on release day, I'm probably on my way right now. Unlike road trips, life doesn't come with a map, and life changes are often difficult to navigate. When things aren't working, it is normal to feel stuck or confused, and it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is. Luckily, therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. I know when I have a situation that I am feeling unsure about, therapy can help me figure out what the best decision for me is and how to prioritize my own needs. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Eden. That's BetterHelp.com slash Eden.
0: That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose,
3: no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
2: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: We are back from our break and we are bringing you a quick respite from sexual abuse claims in order to present you with some good old-fashioned workers' rights violations.
3: Boo, yeah. boo, boo, boo. Sadie, what would happen if ministry workers unionized?
0: That question really makes you wonder why <laughs> the social gospel is the big bad evil that all the fundamentalists hate, huh? Did you did you know? You do know that I was raised to believe that unions are evil.
3: That doesn't surprise me, but that is a complete 180 from now. I, I don't know, man. I, f- I feel like... I'm always like, we work on this show. I feel like we're like 10 minutes away from starting our own podcasters union.
0: <laughs> we own our own company. How can we start a union?
3: I don't know. So that we can, uh, uh, the, the local, I don't know, what, what the local 420.
0: Local 420-1611. Yeah. Fruit 1611 King James Bible. In
3: all seriousness, how many churches uh, would totally fall apart if they had to actually pay people.
0: Probably not as many as you think. Certain branches of evangelicalism and independent churches, like Independent Baptists, would. But for example, the Southern Baptist denomination pays their staff. The pay is not great by any means. The benefits are not good, but they do. The pay is not completely inadequate. It's it's far from good, or what I would call a living wage. But it's not. It could be a lot worse. It's not IFB money.
3: It's not like they're saying you need to volunteer to clean the entire church after services uh, and never ask for anything in return. And also, you need to give us money.
0: Right? No. Like they they have janitors. Like they pay their janitors. They don't pay them well, but they pay them.
3: Well, no. It's the South, so they don't have to pay them.
0: Exactly. Like
3: well, they they. Seven twenty-five an hour, man.
0: Right. They probably do pay them seven twenty-five an hour, but the denomination has plenty of money. They could hypothetically come up with the money to pay staff, but they don't want to. They want to pay their pastors a lot, like their head pastors, their rock star pastors, a whole lot of money, and pay for buildings and and other stuff. That's that is just my opinion, but I think that a lot of denominational churches would be fine if they had to pay people well. So you mentioned before the break that people who worked for and worked with Carl Lentz at the Hillsong New York campus claimed that they were made to do a lot of unpaid and underpaid work. It turns out that this is very much the company culture at Hillsong in general. As you mentioned, Hillsong had a ministry school affiliated, the Hillsong International Ministry College. Students at the college allege just um, all of the kinds of discrimination, coercion, and abuse Their students were asked to sign NDAs, which calling back to last week's discussion of Donda Academy, being asked to sign an NDA is not inherently culty. But when it is combined with other cult-like behavior, it becomes a really big red flag.
3: Yeah, see, I think this is a huge red flag because while Hillsong is famous for having a lot of celebrities go there, if you're just some person who is going to their ministry school you're not going to be face-to-face with any of these celebrities on a regular basis. So there's no TMZ, there's no page six for ministries. Like for like, the son isn't interested in any of this Christian stuff unless somebody named Duggar is involved.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. There isn't or there shouldn't be a reason for a church or a church-affiliated ministry college to have NDAs. One former student, Yolandi Bosch, says that she did not sign an NDA. And she now wants to talk about her experiences at Hillsong International Ministry College.
3: I think that if you're a church, it is a show of trust between you and your congregants if you're completely transparent about what it looks like behind closed doors, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like wh- where the money's going. I like I think that if they're giving you money, then they have a right to know where it's going. You know, And, and it's just like basic morality. Like if you're preaching morality from the pulpit and then somebody says, okay, well, he's coming at me and telling me that I need to be moral in this way or that way. But is this the pastor, the kind of person who uh, berates people in office meeting? They should be able to say, well, here's a tape of our last five office meetings. You can listen to them, see for yourself, or maybe you can consider attending one if you're interested and you want to be involved.
0: <clears throat> I can tell you right now, there are way too many pastors berate people in office meetings.
3: That's bad. Nobody should do that. That's like a, a toxic workplace environment. You know, you uh. can get fired. Like, if you have a, a a real job, like if you have a corporate job, you can get fired for that. And you should be getting fired for that if you're on a regular basis berating people in office meetings. A lot of times, and we talked about cult of personalities like two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two weeks ago. A lot of times uh, there are these. Personalities that get away with being totally horrible to their employees and just berating people in office meetings or, or just berating their staff. And people are convinced that they are essential for the company to function. So they don't do anything. And if somebody, you know, calls them out for it or somebody files a suit or somebody goes to HR, then that person gets canned or asked to sign an NDA and, and fired or something. It's just like.
0: That sounds like literally four people at the place we used to work so Yolandi Yolandi bosch she says that she was heavily controlled while she was a student at hillsong's ministry school and also while being involved with the ministry she was originally from south africa she came to australia to attend the ministry school she said that her visa to be in australia was held over her head as a means of controlling her behavior really yeah that's a bad start um so
3: yeah oh yeah so they what so they can uh uh, revoke your visa
0: well if you're not a student if you're in australia and you're not from australia and you are there because you're a student if you get kicked out of the college and you're no longer a student then you your student visa is not going to be valid forever
3: oh right 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 that makes sense so it's not like it's it's like the opposite of what they do in qatar where you go over there to work for them and they take your passport away Mm -hmm. and they won't let you leave.
0: Yeah, it's like the opposite of of taking somebody's passport, but opposite in like a bad way. Yolandi says that she had to ask a pastor's permission in order to date anyone. And she was once forbidden to ever speak to a certain male friend again after she spent the night sleeping on his couch. She also says that she was pressured to change her hair color and appearance and she was stalked. By mentors who were assigned to her. After she quit attending Hillsong and started attending a different local church, she was assigned to a ministry program called Refresh, which is a mm. very fancy name for what Hiles Anderson would call being socialed. She says that she was made, she had was forced to quit her off-campus job. She was made to work 20 consecutive hours cleaning toilets during a Hillsong conference, which the church denies. The church leadership says that it was 20, maybe 20 cumulative hours of willing volunteer work.
3: Uh, I know who
0: I believe. She also says that she was forced to babysit pastor's children for free or for well under minimum wage for extremely long, like 11, 12 hour shifts. The final straw for Yolandi was when she became ill she wanted to go to an outside doctor, but she was instead pressured into seeing a Hillsong-affiliated doctor who said that she was fine. When she was doing that 20 hours of consecutive work for the church, she eventually passed out and was taken to an outside doctor. It turns out she had kidney stones. Mm. So yeah, they were making her do that, mm. that what she claims was 20 hours of consecutive work with kidney stones.
3: I've never had kidney stones. Uh, I'd never want them. And. Uh, yeah, I
0: have had exactly one and it is pretty serious pain. Question. Yeah.
3: What's more painful kidney stones or childbirth?
0: Oh, childbirth. But that being said, uh, kidney stones are certainly no joke. It, it was not not good. Someone who is presenting with that level of pain should not be written off by a doctor, nor should they be doing any manual labor, especially not being forced to do manual labor.
3: Yeah, because I assume that she goes to the doctor and she says, I have all of this pain in my abdomen. And the doctor says, what, how much pain are you in scale of one to 10? And she's probably going to say like a seven or an eight or a nine mm-hmm. or a 10 or something because it's a kidney stone. Um, and the doctor is going to be like, yeah, you're fine.
0: Yeah. When I presented to the hospital with my kidney stone, um, when I showed up, it was a seven. And before they got me any help, it was an eight for me.
3: Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, and I think that's man. pretty typical. Yeah, I mean, nobody, uh, I, this all aside, nobody should be forced or asked or coerced or expected to do 20 hours of any kind of labor consecutively. That's like two and a half days worth of work if you're working normal eight hour shifts.
0: Yeah. So we're assuming that there are probably a lot of other stories out there like Yolandi's, but that those people signed the NDAs or are still in the Hillsong organization. There are a lot of reasons that if there are, as I suspect, a lot of other people who had similar experiences, they might not be speaking out. A woman who was involved with the New York City Hillsong campus says that she was asked to babysit for staff members' children, including Josh and Leona Kynes. Uh, Leona, of course, is the person who Carl Lentz sexually abused. Uh, this woman who babysat for their children asked not to be named, but she said that she babysat long hours, sometimes was not paid or paid too little, and that the children really hated the attention that they got at church. They Apparently, the children were treated like celebrities at church, and it made them really uncomfortable.
3: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you you know what that's like, but this is like times a thousand. I
0: know what that's like on the smallest possible scale. And this sounds awful. My question
3: is, why does Hillsong benefit from being so repressive and manipulative to and, and like controlling of their ministry students? Because I assume that they have quite a few. They're a huge ministry. So they're going to have quite a few ministry students So you'd think that they'd want to like spread all the labor out between them and not just like say, okay, no, you, you're the one who's got to do 20 hours of consecutive labor.
0: So a couple things, um, I think they are spreading it out. I think they are treating everyone this way to an extent, and there's just that much work available. I also think that this is something that they are doing to the best kids and who they perceive to be the worst kids. So I've talked about at Hiles Anderson, overwork was almost like a hazing process. Like if you do it, you become accepted. And in order to have fundy street cred, you've got to be able to brag about how horribly you were overworked at Hiles Anderson. So it is a reward for the kids that they want to put through like Hillsong Boot Camp, Hillsong Marine Corps. And it's a punishment for people like Yolandi who are not wanting to fully comply. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. So back to uh, uh, one of the things that Yolandi alleged she was pressured into uh, when she was at this, uh, this, uh, this seminary. So Hillsong isn't like the IFB. They have this hip, they have this modern look. They have pastors with like tattoos and man buns and stuff. Why are they so controlling over their ministry students appearance?
0: I think that's how they get that hip modern look. So Yolande's specific claim was that she was pressured into dressing more feminine and pressured into dyeing her hair a lighter color. She had her hair dyed black, and they said that her black hair looked demonic. So, number one, they are pressuring her into fitting a mold. They're pressuring her into looking the part that she's supposed to be playing. Number two, from her picture, Yolandi appears to be a white person, but I feel like anytime anybody ever is being told to lighten their hair... Especially in a ministry where you have staff who are overwhelmingly white and staff wives who really tend to be blonde. It immediately sets off alarm bells for me.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask if she's whiter or black or biracial because she's from South Africa. But um, Yolandi,
0: yeah. I, I don't know what her heritage is. She's at least white passing. any time that a large percentage of the women in a particular group dye their hair blonde, it gives me the creeps. Mm. And I know that that hair color can be just a trend and it can be no deeper than that. But it's it's almost dog whistly and if it's combined with other things, it definitely perks my ears up. This seems again, this is one hundred percent speculation, my opinion, but this seems like the kind of place where little blonde kids are gonna be valued and favored over kids with dark hair, much less kids with darker skin.
3: When you were in the IFB, did you feel that blonde hair was seen as more desirable?
0: Yeah, I felt that blonde children, specifically, were treated as more innocent, more worthy of protection. It, it's very subtle. I cannot make a specific allegation This is just my feelings, and it might just be my insecurities about growing up as a brunette kid, but I felt like they favored blonde children in their marketing pictures. I felt like in sermon illustrations, if there was a kid in the story that they really wanted to make an innocent or sympathetic character, they would mention that it was a blonde child. Uh, I feel like if they Mm. were describing, like in a sermon illustration or a story describing a woman who was really beautiful, they would make a point about saying that she was blonde.
3: That's extremely sus.
0: It's, it is, yeah. is just enough to kind of make me go hmm. In the IFB circles that I grew up in, it never got to the level of blonde people should marry other blonde people so that they get more little blonde kids and our youth group looks like the Hitler youth. But it was definitely to the level of white people shouldn't marry anybody who is not white. And white supremacy is still white supremacy and it is still evil, even if it is not taken to the maximum level.
3: So this whole image of that like Hillsong is putting out there, this slick image, it's just as curated as the wholesome but stuck in 1983 image that the IFB has. Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I did also notice that uh this reminds me of when I was watching the Hillsong music videos uh, and there were some performances from like, you know, 17, 18 I noticed that pretty much all of the people who were performing on stage were people who I would describe as conventionally attractive. It's not like they all looked like cookie cutter because it wasn't all like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white people, but I would describe them all as like generally attractive people.
0: So I've spoken before about my personal belief that the HAC tour groups were chosen as much for appearance as they were for musical skills. When your group is big enough, you can pick and choose the pretty people and put them into positions of leadership to boost your image and this is discrimination and it can lead to all sorts of other forms of discrimination.
3: Yeah, and I mean that's not unlike the outside world and if you're trying to rope people into something and gain new members people are a lot more likely to join if you put the hot people up front and and you know and mm-hmm. they're the ones doing it. So
0: right. Um and it's not right in the real world but i would think that that has even less of a place in a church
3: oh no oh no the it's, other thing I'm... is
0: so hillsong has hundred and fifty thousand members worldwide and there's also a massive stream of revenue from being one of the most popular publishing companies of christian music in the world and having some of the most popular christian bands in the world under their roof so they're huge and they're more capable, I think, of suppressing information or influencing how people get information. So it's now known that in February 2018, church leadership received a letter From a large group of lower level staff and interns who reported multiple claims of sexual harassment, claims of inappropriate behavior, claims of abuse of power over work, claims of sexual abuse not being followed up on or not being reported to proper authorities. Church leadership conducted an internal investigation and they found that these claims were true and they made some changes to their programs, especially their internship programs, which sounds really nice, right? Until you realize... Mm. That there is no accountability to members or anyone other than current leadership. And there is no way for someone who is just getting involved with this church to know that they have a history of this kind of abuse unless they are really good at digging for that information.
3: So they're like, well, we're changing our policies going forward, but any of Mm -hmm. the things that already happened, that's in the past. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. How did this news get out there?
0: So after Carl Lentz was fired, allegations started to pop up against founder Brian Houston from back in Australia. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. But people who were formerly involved with Hillsong started to speak out. They used words like slave labor. They called Hillsong a cult. And there was buzz. So there was already buzz around the church because of Lentz and his connections to people like Justin Bieber there were news articles being written about minor parts of this scandal because the connection to A-list celebrities made it interesting to people who were reading like The Sun or whatever. (laughs) So I found an article about Haley Bieber unfollowing Carl Lentz and his wife on social media. And then I found another article about Selena Gomez leaving Hillsong. So that buzz and some former members being ready to speak out more kind of had a synergistic effect. And these stories got the attention that they deserved Partially because they started to come out when the Lent scandal was already in the news. So all of this started to fall apart very quickly in 2020. And it's kind of all been downhill from there because it's just been like a nonstop breaking news about scandals from this group.
3: Okay, wait, hold hold on a second. I Other question. So all these pop stars and famous musicians uh, like Justin Bieber, um, uh, 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 Selena Gomez, whatever – they are or they have been involved with Hillsong. Is that why all of like the sort of middle of the road mainstream pop music today sounds like contemporary Christian music?
0: I still think that the contemporary Christian music just sounds like pop music, but it can kind of turn into a chicken or the egg situation if the same people have their fingers in both pies.
3: Like I thought... When I was listening to some of the contemporary, like the stuff that's coming out now, because there was like the U2 stuff, and then it kind of changed to like the emo stuff, and then it kind of changed to like the Mumford and Sons stuff, and now it all kind of sounds like Imagine Dragons.
0: Yeah, um, fair.
3: All of these songs kind of sound like they were tailor-made to go in TV commercials.
0: Because they're music that is written to emotionally get you?
3: Yeah, but also I, feel like, I also feel like it might be the other way around like that like because the, because if you look at the the natural musical progression i don't know i'm 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 thinking that they're both influencing each other like it's like a feedback loop almost
0: i think that's that, possible yeah i I just i just want to point out that the same chord like a certain chord progression is going to make most people feel similar feelings and A beat drop is going to make people feel feelings, and a key change is going to make people feel feelings, uh, and a repeated lyric is going to make people feel feelings. So whether you're trying to get people to feel feelings about like your band or about the Toyotathon or about Jesus, the same musical tools work for everybody. So it's not a surprise that it sounds the same.
3: I am offended that you brought up Toyotathon because this is a happy Honda Days household.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so i do want to get into i want to get into the uh the big hillsong scandals that people may be more familiar with i'd like to run by a couple of other scandals that are maybe a little bit more lighthearted. um as funny as that may sound before we get into it just ones that kind of hit me as wild and maybe a little funnier pastor michael Googliomucci. moochie how would you say that
3: Uh, i would say uh my, I'm going to call him Mikey Guglielmucci.
0: Guglielmucci.
3: Guglielmucci. Um, Guglielmucci. Okay. <laughs> Mikey from, Mikey Gulamucci from Jersey.
0: He was from Australia, actually. Uh, Australia. He is, I assume. He was part of Planet Shakers City Church, which was closely affiliated with Hillsong, but not part of the same ministry. He was the leader of a huge Assemblies of God youth movement in Australia. So, apparently, Mikey was well-known for being a part of healing miracles, often as the person being healed. So, one day, he just came into church and, like, had supposedly gotten a broken leg from a hit-and-run on his way to church, and then his leg was supposedly healed during that church service. Turns out, he claimed to be healed of, like, 30 something. (laughs) There, this happens like thirty something times that he claimed to be healed of broken bones in church. I want to know who the heck breaks thirty something bones. This guy's got to stop, youth Pastor.
3: Walking out in traffic, he's got to like, or or <clears throat> like, I don't know. Does he like? Uh, is he extremely clumsy? Is he falling down the stairs?
0: I wish they Just had like... told me what bones because that, that I felt like that would have been interesting. Hang with me because this story gets a lot wilder. Actually. So, uh Guli, how did we say what you're going to say is lost? Gull-
3: it's Gugliamucci. Gulliamu- Gull- Gugliamucci.
0: Gugliamucci. Gulliamu- at different times, claimed to be miraculously healed of glandular fever, a blood clot in his brain, a brain tumor, and a burst eardrum, as well as the thirty whatever bones, before gaining massive popularity in two thousand seven or two thousand like two thousand six, two thousand seven when he claimed to have been diagnosed with blood cancer that would leave him with only nine months to live. He wrote a song. Yeah, so he said he had blood cancer and he only had months to live. He wrote a song called Healer. He claimed that this song came directly from God. He said, oh, I, I went home from receiving my cancer diagnosis and I thought I should just be worshiping God right now. And I conveniently turned a recorder on and I don't know why I turned this recorder on Uh, But I'm glad that I did, because this song just miraculously, it was like God was speaking to my heart, and it just flowed out from my fingers onto the piano. Very convenient that he turned the recorder on. The song Healer (laughs) was included on Hillsong's 2008 album, This Is Our God. That was a live album. Michael recorded the song live in front of an audience with a shaved head while hooked up to an oxygen tank. Do you have a guess on where this is going?
3: I... Do not like where this is going at all.
0: The Mikey never had cancer.
3: I'm shocked.
0: He Shocked, faked it. I
3: tell you. <laughs> what?
0: He faked it, he says, as a cover story for his porn addiction. What? That's what he says. That
3: is a left turn that I was not expecting. That is.
0: Apparently, those Apparently.
3: They're not the same thing. That is.
0: That's correct. Uh, we'll get into this. Apparently, he was so deep in his own hoax that even staff at his church and his own wife and children did not know that he was faking. Can you imagine what? the absolute pure evil depravity and cruelty to do that to your wife and small children?
3: Your So his wife and his children thought that he had a terminal cancer diagnosis. Correct. He So he he came home and he said... Honey, I've got some bad news. I've got to tell you something. I have a terminal cancer diagnosis. I'm going to die in nine months. And she is like crying, of course. And and like, and he's got to tell his kids that their dad is going to die in nine months. And he mm. was
0: f-ing,
3: faking. What the f***?
0: And he... Was faking it, and according to him, it, he was faking what? it to cover up his porn addiction. So, apparently, he faked doctor's visits, tests, phone calls, uh even medical records. And I think what? this goes to show something that we need to understand. I think this goes to show the extent that a person can go to to achieve celebrity pastor status if that is what they want in life. Ah, so, think is- about it. He blames it on a porn addiction. I don't think that had anything to do with this. How how does how was that even
3: involved with this? This has It's
0: not. He just he needed something. He needed a cover so The porn addiction is maybe he does or maybe he doesn't consume pornography, but that is a deflection to make sure people don't realize why he actually did this.
3: Wait, so why why was he? So he wrote the song Healer, not because he had cancer, but because he wanted to be healed from his pornography addiction.
0: That's what he maybe is trying to claim. I don't I I think that is another lie. Why would
3: you say you had cancer then and tell your wife and kids that you have in cancer,
0: I'm going to tell you, <laughs> he wanted to be the next big thing in Christianity. He had two years of eating up this attention, people believing, wow, he's so sick, but he is up there on stage praising God even while he's on oxygen. How touching. That was what he got from people because of this grift, which in Christian social capital is gold god you don't get better than that in christian social capital so he got two years of that just soaked it up ate it up sold his song and then when this grift was over he would get to fake being at the point of death and then fake a miraculous healing from god And then he would get unlimited years of, wow, he was so sick, but he praised God through the whole thing, and then God rewarded him by healing him. He is a living, walking miracle. What he did was, if he had not f***ed up and gotten caught, he ensured his future as a celebrity in the Christian world. How did he get caught? You know, the articles around this weren't clear. It seems like he got confronted maybe by some staff at his church. And then he didn't try to lie his way out of it. He just like broke and told them everything. It's the articles about this were not clear on how he got caught.
3: What? This is, I, I am like the, the I don't know. I I might be more mad about this than I am about like the lens being abusive.
0: I mean, both are real bad. This is like, I mean, the lens
3: abusive stuff. That stuff is really damaging. But this is like, he's he's literally just like emotionally destroying his wife and kids so that he can be a celebrity. So
0: what? So this is why I needed to talk about. Why would you put them through that? That's so up. What? this is the point I'm trying to make. This is only tangentially related to Hillsong, and it certainly wasn't perpetrated by Hillsong. But it is so vital to understand the draw of celebrity pastors and the desperation of wanting to be one, that somebody who is supposedly a man of God would pull this kind of hoax. I think that says a lot about how big of a deal it would be to be a celebrity pastor and how bad a person might want it.
3: That is truly insane. I'm like, yeah, I guess, because because Lentz, Lentz, you think about Lentz, he's running in the same circles as actual like celebrities. Mm-hmm. And from doing this show for so long, I guess I understand how being a big, a big name pastor can really like make or break somebody.
0: I want to talk about one other minor Hillsong scandal that is probably going to blow your mind before we get to the big one, and I'm going to tie this all together. I promise. Shoot. So, have you seen that video of uh, Mars Hill celebrity pastor Mark Driscoll and his extremely bad take on women the the video, the one where he calls women and I quote, "penis homes."
3: No, I have not seen this. What? Uh huh. Penis homes, like yeah.
0: oh it's it's a whole trip you got it
3: where they eat and where they sleep and like where they watch is the word
0: that he uses
3: well that doesn't sound very nice
0: but he's like well but if you if you barge into somebody like your wife is a home specifically for you and if you barge into somebody else's home then you're stealing from another man like that's kind of the the vibe
3: what if they invite you over and you want to watch football.
0: That doesn't exist in this world. After this incredibly bad take <laughs> in is a 24- bad metaphor. <laughs> it, it is a bad metaphor and it is also like extremely f- misogynist. Yeah, like what w- w- this is I mean objectification. It, it, <laughs> like yes, it,
3: wow. I mean like literally objectify like this is a person and you're you're turning this person literally into One aspect, like one piece of this person's anatomy, and that is becoming an that is literally the definition of objectification. Yeah, this is like Mm -hmm. uh, from a all of that aside, all of the objectification and misogyny aside, it is a extremely poorly crafted metaphor. It it, it, it it isn't analogous at all. We don't support bad metaphors on this podcast. Yeah. Aside from all of that, this is also an offensively bad metaphor. And if you've ever done like writing, I mean, Sadie, you come up with good metaphors all the time. This is like this, this, like that was this is truly horrible. Yeah. Truly, like if you put that in in a paper, in like an English paper, you (laughs) would get an F minus minus. You would get like a a see me after class written on the paper in red pen. And you would have to go in and basically beg for them not to fail the class or beg to be allowed to redo the homework for half credit or partial credit. This is a a, a truly atrocious metaphor. This is
0: like. So, well, so this, this like. This came out in 2014 that Mark Driscoll had said this, and then he like doubled down on it. There was a Double lot of Twitter drama uh, that happened in 2014, <laughs> and then he was invited to speak at a Hillsong conference in 2015.
3: Just right off the back of it, <laughs> yeah. What was the conference? Was it? Was it? It about was just how like one write- of
0: their. They just have. Remember Yolandi had to clean toilets during a Hillsong conference. They just had conferences at their church, like pastor school, but for Hillsong.
3: You know what? I feel like you know the Twitter account "Men Writing Women."
0: <laughs> yes,
3: I feel like this is like a a, a very men writing women.
0: <laughs> so what Mark the- Driscoll, after the scandal, was still invited to speak at a Hillsong conference. There was a ton of backlash to this, and then he was eventually disinvited from speaking. But a pre-recorded interview with him was still played at the conference. So that's who Hillsong is associating with. I'd like to remind you of what I said earlier, that this church appears so much more modern and progressive. Women are co-pastoring and wearing jeans and singing on the worship team and even official spokespeople for the church sometimes. And even with all of that, women still lose every time. And men who say horrible, disgusting, misogynist things still come out on top. And we are so surprised that in this environment, their celebrity pastors are having constant sex scandals and that church leadership is doing a really crappy job of reporting rapes to authorities when they happen.
3: Zero surprises there.
0: Right. So speaking of celebrity pastors, cover-ups, and sex scandals, we are going to finish this one up talking about Brian Houston himself, the founder and former lead pastor at Hillsong. I've referenced several times that there was a scandal brewing starting way back in 1999. In 1999, Brian Houston was the pastor of Hillsong and also the president of the Assemblies of God denomination Australia chapter. At that time in 1999, Brian Houston became aware that his father, Frank Houston, had sexually abused nine young boys starting in 1969 who he had come into contact with through church work. Brian Houston, as the president of the denomination, did cede leadership of the investigation to other people, but he remained present and on the board of the investigation instead of fully stepping out due to his conflict of interest. The result of the investigation was that Frank Houston confessed to this abuse. The board of the Assemblies of God decided to allow him to resign to preserve the image of the church. They provided him with a severance package and they did not make any information about his crimes public to the church members, nor did they give any additional victims a chance to come forward, nor did they report these rapes to the police. So Houston's Brian Houston's excuse was that since all of the victims came forward as adults, even though they were abused as children, he did not know that he was obligated to make a report to the police so uh mm. no it's not because he's my dad it's just because i didn't think i had to (laughs) brian says that frank was banned from preaching or speaking in an assembly of god pulpit again although there's hard evidence that frank did speak in an assembly of god pulpit the next month and uh further before his death in 2004 he just spoke in an unofficial capacity and not like as a pastor I should also, the TW for victim blaming, it's really short. I should note, when he spoke to one of his father's victims, Brian engaged in very classic, awful victim blaming and told the now adult man in question that he, as a small child, had tempted his father and that it was his fault.
3: Wow.
0: Yeah. 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 This all began to come to light through an investigation by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse in Australia in the year 2014. That year, as a result of that first investigation, Brian Houston was censured by the commission, but it didn't really go any further than that. The commission pretty much said, you did a bad job. The story gained new traction in 2018. 60 Minutes Australia aired a segment called Hillsong Hell, in which two women said that they were raped by Hillsong, one by a Hillsong staff member, another by a Hillsong church member, and both of them reported that their rapes were covered up by the church and that they were encouraged not to go to the police. Brian Houston was formally charged in Australia in 2021 for not reporting his father's crimes, So when these two women came forward in the 60 Minutes segment, it renewed interest in the whole, wait, did Brian Houston cover up like a decade of horrible child abuse? Wait, yes, he did. It reignited that older investigation, and he was formally charged with a crime in Australia for not reporting his father's crimes. He was formally charged, formally charged, in 2021. He took a leave of absence to deal with the legal issues. And his trial has been delayed a couple times, but at this point, it looks like it will begin a couple weeks after this episode airs in December of 2022. Question: Uh huh.
3: Do assemblies of God believe in generational sin? Like, if the father commits a sin, then the children are likely to commit it as well.
0: I honestly don't know.
3: See, yeah, I, I, I guess I was just wondering that because if your father commits a sin, then you're sort of incentivized to cover it up if uh mm-hmm. to, to to protect your reputation if that's the belief
0: well i don't know if that's <laughs> in in a lot of cases that question might be relevant in this case it's not because two months after going on a leave of absence to deal with his legal issues for the ch- crime that he was charged with uh brian houston f- up his own reputation
3: <laughs> oh no what do he do now
0: um this could could be worse so oh, maybe we can take a breath This could be worse. So almost immediately after going on this leave of absence, it came to light that Brian Houston broke the church's code of conduct for leadership by sending inappropriate text messages to a staff member in 2013 and also by spending time in the hotel room of a Christian conference attendee in 2019. So then he had to resign. (laughs) So for the record, he admits to sending inappropriate text messages to a staff member He says that nothing sexual happened in the scenario where he went into the hotel room of a conference attendee in 2019. He says they were talking in the hotel room for about 40 minutes. Personally, I don't believe that. (laughs) But I feel obligated to our listeners to tell both sides of the story when neither side of the story is inherently toxic or abusive. Um, I think we should tell you what he says, even though I don't believe it for a minute.
3: 40 minutes is an extremely specific amount of time to go into somebody's hotel room.
0: Yeah. If you're, if you are a Christian leader who is hanging out at a Christian conference without your wife, maybe you should not go into anybody's hotel room by yourself.
3: Yeah. Just, just to avoid the image of impropriety.
0: Right. Maybe your commitment to avoiding impropriety. I mean, I I never thought I would be suggesting that people follow the Mike Pence rule. But maybe in this situation, it would have been a better idea. So uh, there was also, at, I didn't get a date. I think at some point during 2018, Brian Houston also like showed up someplace super f***ing plastered. That's another story. My absolute favorite Southern Hemisphere journalist, David Ferrier, has been following this story about Brian Houston's downfall. And he wrote about joining a secret damage control staff meeting put on by Hillsong after Houston resigned. Yay, David Ferrier.
3: Um, oh,
0: man. We love him so much. So, Ferrier discri- uh, transcribed that meeting for us. And it's all about, quote, honoring Brian and his wife, Bobby, for the work that they have done for the church and praying for them and their family. I think considering that that is what they're saying in internal meetings that are supposed to be top secret, upper level staff only... It will be very interesting to see what public statements the church put out puts out during the upcoming hearing.
3: Yeah. So question when somebody says that they're we're praying for this person and their family that could be anything from oh uh, I heard that their son has uh, pneumonia and is in the hospital I'm going to pray for them and their family but. It can also be like, this person has done something bad, make sure I need to remind you that they have a family and they're also going through a difficult time too with this. Make sure that you remember this person has a family so you don't go after them too hard.
0: There are a lot of layers because it could also be, that prayer could also be a public statement of, your of hey, this is a message for the wife of the guy who f***ed up. We are expecting you not to leave him and to stand by your man.
3: Okay. So there's just a ton of Christianese subtext. So pray for this person and their family is is like, yeah, it's like a, a very coded state. That's interesting. And um, not
0: being in that group, I wouldn't know which one is more likely to be the intended meaning.
3: So a few weeks ago, we talked about personality cults and we talked about what kind of person would have a personality cult. We also talked about the ethics of having one and cultivating one. I am personally of the opinion that anybody who would intentionally cultivate one is probably not somebody who should have one. I think this also goes back to what we were saying earlier in the episode where having a big ministry is a sign of success. It's like having a personality cult is almost a prerequisite for success in this field, which is, I think, why so many of these big-name pastors are involved with abuse. It is often said that fame and following and power are corrupting influences. But I also think that it's maybe more likely that corrupt people are also the people who seek out fame and power and, and following.
0: I I think it's both. I always think it's both. I think corrupt or corrupt people or people who are very willing to get corrupted seek out positions of power. And I think that positions of unchecked power always make someone a worse version of what they would have been otherwise, no matter who they were when they started.
3: It's just like the, the music thing with the chicken and the egg and the. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, it is. And I think it's obvious that Hillsong is implementing behavior control just from Yolandi's story alone and other similar stories I think we see a clear example of information control as well. Uh, A now deleted tweet from Brian Houston encourages church members not to listen to, quote, chatter or, quote, rumors about his father's crimes.
3: Have we seen any examples of thought control coming from this? Because I do feel like the way that they're using uh, uh, music, uh, that definitely ticks the emotion control box if we're looking at cults. So the one yeah thing that I have left is thought control.
0: So I was going to say the same thing. The music alone is a valid proof of emotion control. It's a different sense or a different practice than we normally see with emotion control, but I do believe it's very valid because the music exists to control emotions. Uh, And it also prescribes emotions that you should and should not feel, such as happy or sad or worried or anxious or at peace. The music is also prescriptive of emotions. So as far as thought control... That is kind of the only question we have left. I was reading about Mikey G, um, the fake cancer faker. There was a story that stood out about him. Apparently, when he would limp into the church with whatever faked injury he was going to have healed that day, before any healing was done, he would yell at anyone who didn't believe in miraculous healing to leave the room immediately. Really? Uh Uh-huh.
3: Is is that thought control? I feel like that's also like the deliberately lying to people is more information control than thought control.
0: Not the lying part, not the lying about his injuries. The yelling about mm-hmm. if you don't believe this, get out. That is thought control.
3: Because they're gonna stay because they wanna see what's about to happen.
0: Uh-huh. And, and he's dictating to people what is acceptable to think. He's saying if you don't think this, if you don't believe this, then you don't belong in this group. He is attempting to say, think this or get out, which is thought control.
3: And you're not going to get out because that's embarrassing and you got all your people around you. Okay. Yeah. And so he's he's just like rolling in and he's not just like, hey, uh, I need to get this fixed right away. He's like, I need to get this fixed. But if you don't believe me, then you need to get out of here first. And like, he, he's got it. That is...
0: Well, it's also... like he, I am assuming that he said something like, if somebody is here who doesn't fully believe, then God won't work a miracle for me.
2: Oh, and okay. And then okay. he is
0: also... And, and that is my guess. Again, it was really hard to find more details, the details that I really wanted about this guy. Uh, if I had found more details, I would have made him his own episode. But I am, I am kind of thinking, well, if he said... If any of you don't fully believe, then God won't work a miracle for me. And then he put on this performance where it appeared that God worked a miracle for him. Then all those people think, wow, I must truly be a true believer. So then he's also brainwashed them. Uh, That's my guess. Even if you're
3: watching this and you're just like, there's no way this is real. And he says, yep, it worked. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I must have believed because clearly it worked. Right. And I was doubting. Okay.
0: Which is also gaslighting. That is that is well.
3: If okay, so anybody listening, if you have more information about Guglia, Guglia, whatever, uh, uh, I'm I'm just going to call him uh, Frankie Mooch. What's his name? Uh, uh, Mikey Mooch. Yeah. If you have information about Mikey Mooch, uh, uh, send it to us and we will do our own episode about him. Oh, I would Um, love that. Yeah.
0: But as we know, he was not a staff member at Hillsong. So we cannot say this is a example of thought control at Hillsong. He was very involved, very affiliated with Hillsong, a part of the same denomination. So based on that, I think it's a good guess to think that there were probably similar examples of thought control coming out of Hillsong.
3: Are are there examples of Hillsong doing the same sort of thing with a faith healing and attacking like the faith of doubters?
0: I don't have specifics from Hillsong I do think it would be really surprising if it didn't happen. I will say that I found several examples of what I would call more mild or more indirect thought control from Hillsong specifically. So if you read David Ferrier's transcript of the staff meeting, in my opinion, it really toes the line between information control and thought control. It's on the subtle side, but I think that the leaders who are speaking in that damage control staff meeting are maybe telling staff how they should think and feel about the information. So they are directing staff members to inside information over outside information, which is basic information control. I think they are also leading the people in that staff meeting to think and feel a specific way about the information presented, which would be thought and emotion control. Another thing that I noticed is when the 60 Minutes Australia Hillsong Hell episode dropped, Brian Houston tweeted in response to an article about it, saying that the article had, quote, factual inaccuracies.
3: So it's like, this is an untruth from Jack Hiles.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Fun memory. But both of those examples, I would say, are borderline between information control and thought control. They are absolutely information control. But I think those examples really blur the line. Between info info control and thought control. Because we know that that with the byte model, there can be some ambiguity between thought control and emotion control, most often. Uh, but I think that there can be some blurred lines between what is thought control and what is information control. You definitely could look at these and say, no, it is just information control. It is not thought control, it is just restricting the listener or the reader. Uh, on what information they are supposed to consume. I would see them as an attempt to also go into thought control th- territory and dictate what the listener or reader thinks about the information that has been presented.
3: Okay. I also think that an example of thought control could possibly be if you're listening to this this uh, music that they're so famous for, that this uh, Christian contemporary music that they're so famous for, that they could be... They are telling you that when you feel this feeling, you are feeling the Holy Spirit. And that is like, so they're trying to condition you to have the thought when I feel X, Y, Z emotion, that is the Holy Spirit, not just the emotion of I like music.
0: Yeah. And that is, that's with your psychology. That is very much allowing somebody else to play around with your brain and your brain chemicals and your heart. And that, I don't, I don't like that.
3: Yeah. And also that that is very much a thing where it gets you to sort of do the self brainwashing where when you feel this thing. And again, like
0: if you, if you want to connect with God by standing in a worship service and putting your hands above your head uh, and singing worship music, that is fine. That is a okay. Please don't allow the beliefs and the feelings that lead you to want that to let you harm anybody. (laughs) Like your LGBT friends and neighbors, or people who don't agree with you, or people from other religions. Um, but if if it's just if you want to worship to wor- worship music, we're not coming after you. But do be aware this music is crafted to give you feelings, and if you're aware of that, I don't have a problem with it. But I see how you could say that that could be if they are if the leaders are telling you. No, it's not us. We're not making these emotions. It's the presence of God that just so happens to fill this auditorium uh, every Sunday morning at exactly ten forty four a.m. <laughs> the presence of God is very punctual. <laughs> the presence of God really, uh, really likes a G seventh chord. So, uh, but if yeah, if they're telling you that, I can see how you would think that was thought. Con- how you could um, conceptualize that as thought control.
3: So, uh, you think Hillsong's a cult?
0: Yeah, based on that, I do. um yeah,
3: yeah, i I agree. um i don't i don't I just don't think that you amass a following this big with this sort of controlling nature without behaving in a culty manner. Uh, and we do have first hand reports of controlling abuse and and cover ups. Um, I think that if they had like a worldwide music ministry, that would be one thing. You know, if they were just a church that specialized in doing this music, then you would be like, oh, wow, they're that church that specializes in doing that. But that they're doing the music ministry and then they're also combining it with this uh, this, uh, we need to expand and they're also combining it with this controlling behavior, it's all those things together that really uh, uh, are, are the things that tick the boxes for me.
0: Yep. I agree. Well, I hope that I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I know there was a lot of difficult material in it, but (laughs) I there was there was a lot. We had we had some fun. We had some fun in this one.
3: Next week we are talking about food. Uh, We're going to talk about like potluck dinners, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So you guys will enjoy that. Uh, It's a good episode for the holiday season yeah if you like the show if you're a fan of the show you can uh, join our patreon for a very extended version of today's episode where we went off into some really fun weird tangents that'll be really fun that's going to be available at patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast you can join our facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit reddit.com slash r slash and you can follow the podcast on facebook instagram at uh leaving eden podcast on twitter at leaving eden pod Sadie, you want to plug the socials?
0: Sure thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. And on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One.
3: And you can follow me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, See you guys on Thursday and see you guys again on Monday. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.